Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The book, Before I Leave You A Memoir on Suicide, Addiction, and Healing, is finally out to the public. What started as a note, originally meant as a goodbye letter by Rob Imbo, turned into a book, an apology, therapy, and a healing tool to turn things around. The book is a redemption story, an introduction into repressed memory and childhood trauma, a harsh reality of the darker side of Las Vegas, and a reality check of how addicts manage to hide their struggle, their troubles, and their illness from colleagues, family, and friends. Some of you may be familiar with Rob's name as he was one of the founding partners for Ascent Compliance, which I'm learning is pretty much valued at about a half a billion dollars these days, a company involved in revolutionizing supply chain data collection and risk management. He did all of that while struggling with substance abuse issues. We talk about his healing, his early practices of meditation, a clean lifestyle and a clean diet, yoga, writing, and books, all which helped change his trajectory. Now a married father of two, this story will give you hope. It will give you knowledge and understanding of the internal battle people face and hopefully will inspire others to find the courage to help push through. So welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And for more information, you can always check out extensionmarketing.com. Okay, Rob, I got through the intro. We good? Yeah. That's, <laughs> wow. Wonderful. So this isn't our first time kind of <laughs> sitting and chatting. I will tell people that I have read the book from cover to cover, um, but more so because I wanted to be able to help you because having this story come out, it was pretty much having your entire life unfold. And it's kind of like, how on earth am I going to tell this story? Yeah, for sure. That's and that's why I reached out. I was uh, extremely nervous uh, having interviews like this, and uh, and you're a consummate professional, uh, and you were you were posting things like watch your uh and watch your you know the way you sit. I'm like I think I need to reach out, and I heard your hundredth episode, and that blew me away because you were so vulnerable, and that was the day I reached out. So and it was I. I was very honored and touched that you did, especially with something that hadn't quite gone public yet, the book. No one had really, I think I was one of the first few people to actually read mm-hmm. the book. And I think I was I was honored because this was going to be a story that you were going to need to practice and figure out and find the courage to be able to get into interview settings, whether they're a quick four-minute live interview on TV or a long podcast version, uh, to be able to know where the emotions can go and what information you can get out and how to how to get people interested in what it was that you're the story that you were trying to share. Yeah, that's that's, that's a big part of it because uh, I'm, I'm a crier, especially with, mm-hmm. you know, two young daughters and to to talk about, you know, the subject matter that I, I talk about in the, in the book and to, yeah, where does those... Where do those emotions go? Okay. This is probably going to be a bit of an emotional <laughs> ride for a lot of people. Uh, and for me too, because I actually just saw, like this was the first time I actually got to touch the book, uh, was just, you know, 10 minutes before we started to, to record. What is it actually like to see this book now? Like it was one thing to see the manuscript on the computer screen, but to hold it and see um, it out. It, it's It got delivered to my mother's house and uh, she opened it and she saw the picture of young me on the cover and she just broke down in tears so as did I. I I just started crying too just 
like we had that idea for the cover like the designer gave me these, this inspiration and really suggested i be on the cover and then when i suggested the little me she's blown away and yeah seeing it is really uh <laughs> is really emotional for sure just to even see it and yeah. not even even mom, open my, it. My, my mom has the first copy and she's kissing it every day she kisses the <laughs> little me every day i think she kisses it because you're here it, yeah. it's, it's that she's <laughs> able to kiss something that's still that's still living and breathing and is is a different feeling for her knowing that what was originally in a suicide attempt didn't mm -hmm. didn't work and that mm -hmm. with it came the courage to write this yeah yeah i mean she didn't know she had no idea she saw me living a glamorous life and going to vegas and posting those fun photos um uh, and she knew about the ecstasy a little bit and i said oh it's fine you know i've done my research and uh, but she had no idea what was going on and so when she read it, it was definitely a trauma for her. <laughs> what would you say, as so people are going to kind of get into this, and we've worked on this, but if someone was like, okay, this is your book. Rob, what's your book about? <laughs> what's going to be your standard answer? <laughs> My standard answer, as, as we've discussed, uh, <laughs> uh, to, be, to be honest, uh, yeah, it, in the early stages of building this company, um, uh, that memory of being raped as an eight-year-old boy just sort of surfaces and kind of blindsides me. And I, I don't know what to do with it. Um, I, I, I leave my wife um, and I start just partying, partying to die. Uh, and think leaving Las Vegas. I was very much inspired by that, by that movie. Um, and spending as much as I possibly can, uh, spending all my savings and, um, and hitting rock bottom in a few places. But somehow, um, you know, messing up, not, not, I'm not able to commit suicide and holding on and clawing my way back uh, to a place where I am now. And you know me now, I'm, I'm in love with life. I know I, I have two beautiful girls and I have an amazing wife. So um, that's what the story is about. Yeah, like you are the epitome of loving life. I mean, healthy, you know, vibrant, <laughs> active, like this wonderful perception and kind of value to what you what you give life so i i hope that people will feel that and feel inspired and and i think when i asked you you know well who is this book really for that's kind of like there's gonna be a lot of people that will take something different from your story um yeah it could be for a lot of people i mean i i wrote it for people for me in that in that situation um because i read books in a, like addiction books and how they, they managed to get through it um but uh, so it's to give people hope and maybe people who whose loved ones are going through what they fear I was going through uh, to how to give them the safe space uh, so, so they can heal. And also for people who like to read this, this kind of story, right, this 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 journey of addiction and getting us and healing, especially, you know, it, it takes a lot. I mean, it's, <clears throat> it takes one thing to be able to write something, but you talk about the fact that you read a lot of books. Mm -hmm. Were there people that helped inspire you? Like, was there a style once you realized, once you realized you were writing, mm -hmm. you were starting to write quite a bit. Where did the words come from? Or did you have a sense of where you were going to be going with this? I think um, when you described it in the beginning, when, when I did share it and some and some people encouraged me to, to share the story as, a, as an outward project, as an actual book, um, I Googled best memoirs and I found Cheryl Strayed's Wild. I didn't know that it was a movie. I just found that the book 
Um, the words are so, like, her writing is so amazing. It's, it's, it's intimidating for sure. Uh, and then looking to, you know, Sarah Heppola's Blackout and Holy Mary Carr's, like, you know, uh, Liar's Club, those really stood out as beautiful memoirs. And uh, I wanted to, to, to do the best I can in, in the writing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to dig into the book? <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, so... Where's the Kleenex? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're gonna have we're gonna have Veronica go in and run and get some. That's so true. I hadn't even. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna probably be a mess too. Okay, um, because I, I mentioned in this, um, right off the top, because it was something that I had to look into a little bit when we were talking about repressed memory, mm-hmm. is to understand a little bit more, you know, about it and and being confused by it and how exactly does this happen? So I think that. It wasn't the launching point right off the bat in the book, but we get a sense early on that um, that a lot of the issues, everything stems from from this. And I would think as, um, as a man who hadn't quite talked about it a lot, we're going to be going back to, to, we're going back to childhood trauma, which mm-hmm. we can all seem to think we can run away from, and we can't. We can't. And it, and it no matter how you think, and I thought, that talking about it's not going to help. Um, it it certainly is going to help. You know, it, there's it manifests in so many different ways. Like, I mean, repressed memory itself is somewhat controversial. It, it's um, um, accepted in my area of childhood sexual trauma, um, but and uh, that I'm not advocating for advocating for either side. Um, but my story was that, and I believe that this is, is common, is I knew that there was something there, and it informed who I became. It, it, it informed who, um, uh, how I, be- I behaved, how I spoke, and um, all the acting out I did, and it, it tormented me my entire life. I just didn't know, and, and I described it as we, we've spoken up before. Um, it was a kind of like a uh, out-of-focus photograph from the 70s, and it turned into a full-length uh, high definition 4K movie. When it clicks. When when it came back. When, when it came back. When it so came back, you yeah. know when people talk about you know the repressed memory is is that and I like it was like this blurry gray you know black and white vision yeah. of things. Yeah. And it always constantly in the back of your mind like it, lingering. For me like I knew someone was in the room that night and I knew something happened. And and it it tormented me for like when I boxed you know with you know with my partners and I would stay those late nights and want to okay I need to do a thousand jabs okay I need to do a thousand overhead rights uh, I was tormenting myself and I had no idea why I was so angry. Uh, it comes out it comes out in um, in anger it comes out in disassociation you just don't want to be a part of the world you're constantly tired it, it comes out in so many ways and your physiology too right um, you're comforting yourself through food. Um, through alcohol, through addictions. All addictions lead back to a trauma, right? And it did. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about your boxing because that'll, that'll bring us to, 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 to different levels and different things that you've actually since then have kind of established. But so you talk about this. It's, there's there's that, that feeling someone's in the room. And yet what was that trigger that brought it to a full full-length movie 4K in full color that it was just vividly right there? Um, I think it was a bit of, I was, I mean, I describe it in the book because I was actually reading a book um, that triggered it. But the context of my life was I was, you know, I was in a loving relationship. I was very happy, um, you know, and I think we were even thinking about having kids. 
and uh, and I think when I read that passage in the book, I just it just clicked, um, and it just sent me spiraling. I'm like, and I even said the words out loud, you know. And it had not. I mean, it was in God is not great by um, Christopher Hitchens, and they were describing a, a stoning of a woman who, for whatever reason, um, it was like I can't believe they did that to that woman. And I actually said out loud, "Is that I can't believe they would do that or to a little boy." And, and my wife's like, what? And, and then it all just came back. It just literally just came flooding back like a tidal wave. And, um, and, uh, I just, I was, I ran to the washroom and I was catatonic for a couple of days. Okay. Like the physical toll, like it was like a, a release, like the, yeah. your, your entire body. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it was the a, whole, it was everything wave. was triggered. It, yeah. Yeah. I, I just was vomiting. I just was. I, I curled up around the toilet uh, for for hours and hours, and uh, my wife is just sort of stroking my hair, trying to figure out what's going on. And are you able to express it? Are you no. able to? When it took, you... it took a while. It took a while to actually articulate what I saw, and I knew it was true. It just it just sort of like there, you know. <laughs> I, you you speak of like a, a catatonic state. Is it you just don't want to move? Is it it's the fear of actually getting up and having to face it now that it's in front of you? Uh, I, it's just not wanting to be anymore. Just not wanting to be anything. Just stop. Like just that's this is why it turned into suicide, right? So um, I it just yeah, I just don't want to live. Just don't want to. It you just you see that type of. Um, violence and that type of you know i'll say torture it just you can't you don't understand you can't reconcile you know i'm a happy-go-lucky person and i just can't reconcile the cruelty i just let you breathe for a second (laughs) Uh, because you you speak you speak beautifully about it i can tell with the words and the writing the way you've been able to express yourself even in talking about it right now but eight-year-old boy uh, family, not like a family friend. It was how. <laughs> I mean, so mom was going through, um, uh, I guess, a separation. She was single, and she was um, an alcoholic back then. And there were a few suitors have <laughs> yeah, it came back, and um, we we tried to figure out who, and we we can't figure out who specifically. Um, we, we've definitely ruled people out. Um, so yeah, we do, we don't know who, but, uh, and I'd like to mention this because your mom might be trying to figure it out now with you, but you didn't, you didn't say anything as an eight year old boy. And I'm going to say it because I've read it and I think it might be too difficult for you. But I think for me, I actually had to stop reading. I know I stopped reading cause I know I, well, cause I remember sitting in a chair for about seven hours straight reading this book, but uh, the image of this, this image of, a, of an eight-year-old boy walking with bloody sheets to go to the washing machine so that no one would see. Uh, I really had to, especially as a parent, like I had to put the book down and just kind of take a couple minutes. Maybe because I knew where the story was going to be going, I needed to give it a chance to sink in to understand just how much trauma and the violence that you would have had to endure as a young child for that and that for me that you didn't go and tell mom that your first thing wasn't to go run and and get help 
and just that's that was my first impression was just to see how inward this was going to go like how secretive and inside this dark ghost and horrific experience was going to live in the core of your soul (laughs) that that was like that was for me and and then at the same time like shaking it like why why didn't you go do you do you question like do you remember and And, and i know in reading it but like why you didn't go for help at the time uh i (laughs) it's something we we obviously breached in in therapy and it's like uh, my my young mind a can't process it b i didn't have a safe space um so you speak about it as a parent uh now i'm a parent so giving my daughters that safe space is paramount like it's the biggest thing i can do Ah, first of all, an amazing dad, and I think the girls are going to be incredibly lucky to have you uh, as as the man that's raising them. I think you guys are are very fortunate, and I'm ex- I'm so excited still for the life you have ahead. And there is, I want people to know, like there is this real wonderful story that that comes from this. But right. let's get through the shitty stuff first, <laughs> because I'm really like we'll get through the shitty stuff mm-hmm. because I think what will really inspire people is how there is this this massive like change of like this door opening and like light like tons and tons of light coming in this experience exa- happens you're eight hmm. but you're still not it's not like you're like uh, this goody two-shoe kid that kind of keeps going like you've got you definitely <laughs> have a little bit of shit a little troublemaker in Absolutely, you yeah. like there, there's there's a lot that goes with it raised by a, a single mom there were a couple hmm. you know it wasn't always the most stable of, of places and yet through all this, you you managed to land on your feet. I mean, you've you've got some good brains and you've got some hard some really ethics. Like you got you got lucky because you ended up in some amazing places. I did, despite the circumstances. I did, yeah. So take us from like get, get, <laughs> let's do like a really like a, a really quick Coles notes version of you kind of get your life in in as much order that you can get through school, get some things done. Uh, yeah, I mean, so yeah, mom, mom pretty much kidnapped me from my dad when I was very young uh, from an abusive relationship. So she never took any money. So we were always pretty destitute. And I say poor. um, And that's, I mean, the definition of poor, I think, is you miss meals and you have to rely on charity. So we did that. Um, So we didn't have much. She was very loving. Mom was very loving our our entire life. It's just, um, I think she was confused and and young. Um, And yeah, I mean... I went from, it's funny, I have all my report cards still and my had straight A's up until then. And then, you know, he's daydreaming, he's not here, he's not participating right after. Um, but uh, I just, I guess, claw my way through through school. I get to, I get in a little trouble in my late teens <laughs> um, where I, I stole a car and then um, there's, uh, I get involved with these people and I get arrested and, um uh, but I, I get through that, and I don't go to jail. Um, I get accepted to Carlton, and uh, the judge well, took it easy on me, so I didn't end up going to jail. I ended up going to university instead. That didn't take, um, but I, I did get, you know, come to Ottawa. Uh, I, yeah, born in Montreal. All this stuff happens in Hamilton, um, But it, uh, and I come to Ottawa, which I just fall in love with. I have an aunt and uncle who are super, super uh, supportive and kind. Uh, I talk about them in the book as well. Um, and working a lot of odd jobs here and there. And then uh, I start working at Foot Locker. 
which I uh, fall in love with because I do so well. Um, I, I'm able to put on the mask. I'm able to like sell shit. And like I, I, I was nationally ranked two years in a row, which from Ottawa was, you know, being the Trump Toronto boys was a big deal. And then I wanted more. Uh, and I just was just, I was always good with doing the work. Um, even if it was an addiction of sorts, right? So I was not good at personal relationships or social situations, and um, but I was really good at doing the work. And so, yeah, and I got ambitious, you know. Um, I was working in a coffee shop in the first, you know, from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m., footlocker 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., and then busing across the Algonquin to take courses in programming 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. So it was just my entire day was full, so doing the work. Right. But if your entire day is full, then you don't have to think about things. Exactly. Yeah. Right. If you keep yourself busy, then you're constantly mm -hmm. out running the dark shadow that's yeah. constantly chasing it's, you. It's, it's, it's as much an addiction as anything else. And that, that was one of the big epiphanies in, in, in my life and in, in my book is I always had something to look at. Um, and we didn't have Internet back then. <laughs> I didn't have a smartphone either. It's just, you know, our, our society has made it abundantly easier to, to not look within. Um, so yeah, I, I, I worked through that and, uh, yeah, I, I won an essay contest actually. So in, in, and so I achieved this Microsoft so solution developer an engineering certificate through it and got hired. And then, um, I bought out my, uh, went into massive debt, bought out my boss and worked my ass off to build that company and, uh, made a pretty good that's when we we first met, you know, I had a good lifestyle company then. And then um, I met uh, one of my partners. We got along really well. He came aboard uh, with his companies and uh, he had founded Found Around Boxing Club. And uh, um, and he was the originator of Fight for the Cure. So uh, I helped that just sort of as a friend and then helped, uh, you know, marshal that along over the years. Um yeah, I just was was really lucky. I, and the addiction, the work addiction, I think was the reason I was able to claw myself out of it. Right. You have this but, work addiction yeah. that, you know, <laughs> you're able to build onto a company and then join in with another company and become a co-founder of what is now, as I mentioned, like mm -hmm. a half a billion mm -hmm. dollar company. So you're really good at putting in the work or putting in a certain type of work at, at one point yeah. that, that yeah. made sense, right? Like you were mm -hmm. really good at one point at what you did. Yes. Yeah. You weren't yeah, so good towards the end. <laughs> wasn't wasn't great at the no, end. No, uh, no, <laughs> no. So, where in this of you? Let's get into asset right. So you you've built up a couple of companies. You're at this point. You've you've married mm -hmm. to your first wife. Let's let's go let's go through the 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 timeline. Okay. Because in this point of as successful as you're getting, mm -hmm. there are other habits that are starting to, to kind of creep in a little. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They are a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally as I've been using the Extension Marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I was checking off all the things, so the nice car, the nice house, the nice wife, and thinking happiness will come with it. And 
You know, we hear more often than not, that's not how you do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, life's, life isn't a checklist. Yeah, but right? it wasn't just like a nice, like it was like a really nice car. And a really, <laughs> like let, let's not downplay it, right? It's, like, yeah. I mean, there's not many that we see, like there's, we don't no. seem to see that wealth here, but you, that came with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that was a part of it. And my ex, um, you know, attributes my downfall to that, to that car and that lifestyle to start drinking, start going out to clubs, um, People want to be yeah. around you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're a nice guy. I'm, I don't know how nice, but they weren't. They weren't wanting to be around you just for the sake of. Oh my God, you have to hang out with Rob because he's just really. Well, I think I, great... I like to think. Well, I mean, they definitely were probably attracted by the things, but I like to think they stayed because I was nice. Right. And, uh, was real. <laughs> yes, there are some friends that we're going to learn like that were um, really good, and then some that. You know, I'm sorry, but the Vegas co- the Vegas girls, they didn't. They weren't sitting there at the end of their shift going. He was such a nice guy to talk to. Fair. Yeah, <laughs> Am fair, I allowed fair. to say that? Okay. Yeah. So, when did the when did the lifestyle start to kind of overtake a little bit? Um, I think. <laughs> uh, I thought I was doing a great job, but of course, um, uh, yeah, we are yeah, the lies we tell ourselves. Um, I I think. I was doing ecstasy, my, my, my drug of choice, and I was doing a lot of them, but this this one really messes with um, your emotions. So, you know, it gives you a high, you're happy, you're in love with the world, but then you're doing it so often, you forget what's real, and you don't know what's real. And then, but you know, you know you don't know what's real, so you, I just lost complete confidence. Like, I uh, I was at one point speaking to uh, Algonquin grads, and, and love speaking to groups and, and people, and to the point where I, I couldn't hold a meeting in with, with five, ten people in my own company. Like, I, I just didn't have the confidence. I, it, that was gone. Like, <laughs> the lights were out. Which um, is so tough to be and so And my partner successful. saw it. My right. partner saw it. You know, to their, to their credit, you know, they, they, they tried to help and they tried to, they didn't know nothing what was going on, but they knew that I was becoming ineffective and something, something was, was amiss. Um, and they, they hired people, we hired people to help me. Um, and, and along the way that did end up helping when I started healing, you know, we did hire someone that was great and I was able to find my place and, and, you know, get my confidence back and be more effective. Yeah. But we got a while to go until we're back into the healing part. <laughs> I know that you're going to jump ahead, but, but I'm not going there yet because I know in, in the course of writing this book, what a lot of your research was calling up. A lot of the research for this book was calling up credit card companies and backtracking and researching and trying to get a full understanding of what the behavior, what the patterns were really like. When you're having to go back over credit card statements and go, oh, this is what I spent. This is where I was. This is – when you were having to go and research away. that way, that's it's in front yeah. of you. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I, I was good in – well, good. Uh, in that I used only Expedia, so I saw all the trips, and then um, I saw the reasons why in festivals and, and raids and, and that sort of thing. And then, yeah, the credit card. Yeah, you can't look away from that, and you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And like, I have a chapter. Like, thirty percent of this book is gone. I've cut it because of it's. It it just would be too long, um, and I just I condensed it, and then and then there was a time I did this, and this the time I'm you know I'm passed out in this club washroom, and and this. You know, my security guys has to take me, you know, to the car and I just talk about rock bottom. Right. And there's enough of it in there to get a really good sense because you get a sense of that you had when you would go to Las Vegas. Like you had security people around you. You were a high roller. There was, you know, 
there there were things that were that came that I think for many of us we just don't comprehend we're not familiar with that life you know Mm -hmm. I played the slot machines when I went to Vegas. I couldn't quite, I you couldn't know, quite hang it. As many times yeah. as I've been to to Vegas, I've never gambled. I just dropped my money off and left. I guess, <laughs> but I was really I loved. Uh, well, I loved the ecstasy and in the friends. I, I made some really good friends. You know, I've since ostracized, <laughs> but uh, we had a great crew that went out all the time and. Uh, I love that feeling, you know, I can touch happiness for a few hours. You could. But I want to put it into perspective so people listening, this Vegas, this party lifestyle, this this really did occur after we found you catatonic on the floor. Yeah. So all of this is the progression. There's a there's a divorce, there's a separation. Mm-hmm. There's how long how long would you say from the time that you are catatonic on the floor and the memory is now full Full live in color and on replay. Um, I mean, to take us through a timeline if you can. Um, I mean, in in a few short weeks, maybe a couple of months, um, my wife and I uh, split up, and you know, to her credit, she she wanted to stay, uh, but there was more going on. Like I was cheating, um, uh, and you know, all the all the, the same behaviors that uh, I was going through, and I just I wasn't a good husband. Um, and I had started just going downtown and reaching out to just having dinners with friends and, um, and wanting to go out and just get drunk. <laughs> uh, that's how it started. And, um, I had tried, oh, that's right. I was invited to go to a, um, uh, to Vegas for my first time. I've never been to Vegas. I had never been actually interested in going to Vegas before this. Um, but I had introduced a friend to his wife and he insisted that I go to the bachelor party and I'm in the midst of this breakup and we, we go out, we're out in the club. And one of the guys is like, did you want some Coke? I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm anti-drug. Don't really do anything. And, uh, and then he's like, would you like some ecstasy and i describe it to the t in in the book like i had tried it once like five years ago and it's like literally like the only drug i've done in my entire life and uh i loved it but then it took me two weeks to get over it and i was sick i'm like oh it was a fun whatever but i was i was you know self-destructive i was a little drunk i'm like yeah why like why not (laughs) um and uh and i did it uh and then that was it i just sort of fell in love with that drug and that that entire night is 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 in the book and that parlays into maybe four years of it so once i'm hooked on that and then and it goes through i I'll, i won't do it in ottawa because i don't want anyone to, to know about it right you held um, you kept this life quite private i mean yeah. you were look i didn't want to have be, be caught you know doing drugs you know in, in ottawa i was uh yeah i was on some, some boards of charities at the point as well i just didn't want you know that stigma and I didn't know how to handle it um and then I started doing it in Montreal uh so you know it's still out of town but it, uh, it turned out to be with my auto friends anyway and then it just sort of started doing it all the time okay so I think we got we created this picture yeah I, yeah. I, I hope we've created this picture yeah. when does it go from you going to parties you're going to Montreal you're now addicted to ecstasy you're kind of on a four-year bender of you know Mm -hmm. of of this high um 
when do you realize that it's that it's out of control or that you're starting to realize that you don't have control over what you thought you did um i mean this was all uh, i i considered it to be down, part of my downward spiral to death um so i uh, i was had every intention of, of ending my life and this was just some fun i'm having on, on my way out um, i think a part of me was spending all the money I had so I wouldn't have anything left would be kind of like cheating on your, your wife. You know, like, okay, well, this I'm burning that bridge and I have no reason to live. Um, and I think that was... So if all the it. money is run out too, then the money is gone. I have nothing to, yeah, not, whatever. Um, kind of a dick thing for me to do because I probably could have left it to some people, but uh, or donated it. Um, but uh, I <laughs> I think it was my, my... I reached out. I finally, I think after three years, I reached out and, and got a therapist. Um, and that's a story in itself, but I found someone that, um, saw through my bullshit, didn't put up with my bullshit. And, uh, so I liked her <laughs> right away and, uh, she's, and she gave me carte blanche. She's like, oh, if you think you need to do MDMA, you know, go ahead and do it. Um, but, um, if you're feeling, I think want to know why you want to do it and then we'll talk about it in the next session. And I think that was just her evil genius, you know? So now I'm about to, I'm feeling shitty. I'm like, okay, I just want to pop some pills. I'm like, why do I want to pop some pills? And, and a few times I would, I would stop and, and realize why do I want to do this? And, um, and that just, I think just got everything firing. What, why am I doing this? Why am I living this lifestyle? And, uh, and I need help. Had she known about, had you had the discussion though with her about the memory, like what you were running from? Right away. Right away. Um, I, I, so I interviewed a lot of um, uh, psychiatrists and the one I landed on, when I, when I did land on it, her, her name's Anne. Uh, she's since retired. I decided to be 100% raw and honest. I'm like, if I'm going to bother spending this much money um, and if I'm going to bother, I have to do this. And, uh, and I told her, I was like, listen, I'm a world-class bullshitter. I'm, I'm like, I am not who I say I am to almost everybody. Well, to everybody. Um, I'm having a trouble with this. I treat people like this. I don't want to do this anymore. And, and then this is what's happened. This is what I, you know, so I just sort of just laid it all out. Um, and that took a few weeks just to lay it all out. And then, uh, we started working from there. Is this before or after the attempt? Uh, this was after two attempts. Mm-hmm. So it's a call for action. Mm-hmm. It's a call like you know, there's a recognition of being able of being able to do this. What would you say to her? Because I find that she was there's a launching point, right? Like you say, she gave you this carte blanche and yet there were times when you chose not to not to order from it. But what would I say to her when I Yeah, didn't? like you know, when like the the style like there was something to it. Hmm. right you having an option i i didn't know it back then i only realized it when i was writing the book um i i just she's just she was that good i think um i i would just say i don't don't know why i just decided not to right i'm like i I guess i didn't need to because i was thinking about why i need to this well and i would make something up well this means i'm gonna have to go out i'm gonna have to be social i'm gonna have to get ready I'm going to be, I feel like shit for the next three days, um, or I'm going to continue doing it and I'll feel like shit all next week. Um, I guess I just, whatever, I'll stay in and not do it. I, I would always come up something, you know, plausible. And I didn't know, 
right? <laughs> I didn't know at the time. Uh, I think she was just trying to open the door. I'm going to fast forward a little bit because I, I because I find that the the triggers that kind of help with the healing are, are really, really important to the story. But there are some really special people along the way. And I don't want to get into too many personal details, but there are people who saw you through part of this journey that are that are with you and that have could have their own version of the story mm-hmm. to tell as well, right? But um, that I think play a big role. For sure. Yeah. There, there are people I have um, reestablished relationships with, you know, just sort of being vulnerable and reaching out and saying, listen, I, this is, I know I was like this, but, uh, and I, and I miss our friendship, but I just want to say, you know, I love you. And I wrote, um, I wrote, you know, you're in the book as well. And, uh, more recently I did connect with a really good friend of mine and funnily enough, that's funnily is not a word, but funny enough, um, the reason we broke up as friends were not the reason I, I, I thought, you know, it was still on me. It was still me being dick, but for different reasons, it wasn't about the drugs. He just knew I was suffering and he was going through his own journey. And now we can, we, we reconnected. Um, and other people, um, other friends that I, I described in the book, who's helped me, who helped me tr- tremendously. We're still not talking. Um, and that's okay. We're on our own different journeys, but I hope that they read this and know that, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's also a love interest. There's also a powerful tool of, of someone who stood by and, mm-hmm. you know, you have two wonderful children with, but That's... you're very, you're very, you're really good in private of keeping much of Myra's uh, yeah. aspects to it. But Myra's but a she... private person mm-hmm. um, and it's her story to tell, not mine. So I, I, you know, I have my own and she has her own, you know, she's definitely the hero uh, in my book. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to respect that for sure. <laughs> I think you did a really good job, but, but for her to understand, she's known both sides of you. You know, we, <laughs> we went through ups, ups and downs and, um, uh, and we broke up for a while and instead of, you know, turning vile she she turned to love and she's like you know you have a problem um so yeah she she and we still even though we were separate she went to toronto um she and she came back you know we, we tried things out tried dating you know just sort of arm's length for a while still struggling still you know going back and slipping and then um out of nowhere we weren't even together. Uh, I, and we were both high. I said, I, in those moments, you know, she, we, we would talk to each other and, and she would say, you know, like, I just, I just want a boring life. Um, uh, I, I don't want all this stuff. And I just, just want, you know, uh, a boring and I like a boring sounds really nice. And we were kind of like in, in close talking and we said it over and over again. We're not going to do it again. We're not going to do it again. And um, then then we just decided to, and I asked her to marry me when we're high, and um, she says yes. We get married two weeks later, fly to Vegas, bring our parents, bring our siblings, and uh, she, well, I mean, it was with on conditions, right? We sell the penthouse downtown. Um, we we buy a nice house in in the suburbs. Um, no more of this partying stuff. We have to give it up. And uh, and it's a check, check, check. That's it. Yeah. Okay. We're we're gonna do it. Uh, and we did it. And 
that's the big thing about this journey. And we slipped, right? There, you know, once in a while we we did slip, and that's the big thing where you know we went from you know one step forward to four steps back to one steps forward to two steps back and to we'll take two steps forward and one step back, and we just kept on going forward, and um, and she stayed. <laughs> She did, but I think in this journey, the amount of steps that you started to take forward, it didn't seem like there was any need to take any steps back. And I and I think what was interesting is that this is not a 12-step program. Mm. Like the way you just described it is we just – it just there, – right. there was an end, right? Because because the leaving Las Vegas thing didn't work. <laughs> no. It didn't. Like you, you couldn't drink yourself. It You just – Right. You failed to drink yourself to death. You, well, I started. You came, you came pretty close. I started literally having fun, right? So it just turned about to, to fun and figuring out how I was going to kill myself, you know, be it in the middle of a rave or, you know, <laughs> hanging myself in my condo. Um, that was like a, a side thought. I was started to have fun, but all produced by the drugs, obviously. Right. The fun leads into. <laughs> there is, you know, but it is because I, when I was reading this, I'm like, okay, well, there's no 12 step program that mm-hmm. you accomplished. And then, and then you said to me, okay, well, I actually, I have checked. I checked all I the boxes. I think I've checked all the boxes yeah. of a 12 step program. So what was the start of, of kind of going through the getting everything out of the system? Um, therapy was the big one. And, and I don't advise not going to <laughs> just so you know, a 12 step program. Had I been able to be strong and, and vulnerable enough, I, I would have. Um, but yeah, therapy was, was a big one and she encouraged, uh, me to do group therapy, something I'm doing now after avoiding for nine years. Um, I think I had Myra, right. So kind of like my sponsor and, and always being there. Um, I mean, spirituality was a big one. I started doing meditation, which I entered kicking and screaming. I think you have a similar, we have experience. a very similar story, <laughs> but I think, uh, what I appreciate with you is that you had some emotional reactions to the meditation because sure. you didn't feel deserving of <laughs> may things be good today yeah you know so mm-hmm. so take us through because i think as let's go check off some of the things on the box and then and have stories that that mm-hmm. help kind of relate to it one of them was well me- meditation Myra, right like you guys started Myra, doing this sure. yeah this meditation she's like okay so here you are like let's let's try to do this and and well, even that was in Myra that, saying let's try to do yes, this and, and, and you kicking and screaming I'm like, I'm like well i'm like okay what do you want to do she says i'm just gonna lay the phone on the pillow in the morning and at night and it was like it was five minutes and and yeah like that that may th- me things be good today it was in the morning and it was on the on the pillow this is yeah this is in in the book in the as book. well so um, may may things be good today may things be good today that's that all was, that that's was all the, the woman said yeah that's they, all she said that's all she said may things be good today and i'm like oh okay this is great yeah i hope things are good today and may things be good today cool may things be good today like okay why and then it turned into may things be good today i you know thought i was just like fuck off <laughs> stop i'm um, sorry if i, if I said it, i'm a lot of swear um I, and may things be good today and and i was just like I, I not that i said the words i don't feel worthy but i'm like i, I just started to cry um and i hid it from myra and i ran into the washroom and I'm like yeah thanks that was a good meditation and you know just sort of um to let it let it try to wash over me um why such an impact on a may things be good today definitely not letting myself be truly truly happy like not being deserving of things happening being things being good that day um and 
just having a voice, a random voice out of the air, wishing me well, um, was so foreign. It's just so, uh, so uncomfortable. Uh, I, I just, I had to get away from it. <laughs> so how do you sit back and press play the second day of going from may things be good today to uh, deep breaths, deep breaths. I'm like, okay, I'm just, and uh, I think there's a little bit of dissociation there. I knew it was going into, I think I'm going to ignore it. I think, but it, it's as you know it, it pierces through the armor um just the the small the, those those mantras you know <laughs> things like that just pierce they they actually you know i absorb them and uh, we absorb them um yeah i think it just started started working and i i fell in love with meditation as as you know and that turned into something uh, a lot more was there ever a sense of you craving or you know, being in this, as you were going to kind of do the quotations, boring, starting venturing into this boring life, would you be, could you be sitting in a meditation going, oh, I wish I was just at a club in Vegas right now, high on ecstasy. You know, when you, when you go the back and forth of, <laughs> you know, there have been times to slip or do I even, am I keeping it open-ended? Like, well, if I wanted to, I could go back, but let's just do the breathing for today. Like, that's exactly how it was. Um, and I mean, we, we told ourselves, uh, you know, every Monday, okay, no more. We're going to take a few weeks off. By Thursday, something's going on. Do you know? There's a friend's birthday. There's a club celebration. We know we're just getting all these invites. We're like, okay, we'll go out. Maybe just have a couple of drinks. And bam, <laughs> we're, we're on a plane or we're, <laughs> we're in Montreal or we're doing something ridiculous. And then, then, then all of a sudden it's Monday again. Um, um, in sitting in the meditation, sometimes we're just like, hey, we're you know, craving it. Or a lot of times we're just like, this is so nice. This is just, let's have something healthy um, to eat and let's just chill for a while. And I think like, I think the momentum started building uh, just from there, from that simple five minute meditation. And uh, for me, I'm, I need to investigate, research everything. Uh, I did a deep dive into how meditation works. And I was like, okay, this is affecting my physiology this is affecting my neurochemistry this is pretty amazing stuff there's a lot more out there and um I'll do the work and i'm like okay let's go do this now we did the transcendental meditation course the tm course uh together and um that was great so it forced us to do it 40 minutes a day to so two 20 minute sessions and so we were doing that and um that turned into learning more and then uh that i tipped my toe into buddhism which is my spirituality checkbox of the mm -hmm. uh, of the twelve step, um, so it, it just turned into something more um, uh, meditation. Okay, now I'm also looking at you, and uh, you know, for somebody who's listening or those that might watch this on YouTube, like you're a very thin, fit, <laughs> you know, person that I'm looking at, and I think what people need to realize is that this wasn't you. <laughs> that like has like, this is not the reality of what you were back in the, that time yeah. another reason i'm surprised that you know myra stayed <laughs> was definitely because <laughs> uh, she's beautiful and uh, i was 60 plus pounds heavier than i am now for sure um i was pre-diabetic i was you know, a great candidate for heart disease it runs in my family and uh, just wasn't in wasn't in good shape so yeah i mean another... plus you were lazy like i mean aside For like sure. i don't mean like you had plenty of energy out at night at well, a party but you could be working is hunched over a laptop right, right. 
and then on the couch, depressed and not moving. Recovering from the weekend. So, yeah, ordering shitty food, you know, watching TV or, yeah, that's pretty much the lifestyle. Speaking of the food, I know that it's you went clean. Did a deep dive into very, nutrition. Very, clean, yeah. Um, just because I had to. Like, there's just so much shit out there, and I tried so many different things. Um, so I needed to know... Um, what was right for my body so i just really did a deep dive actually my wife and i are doing um a plant-based certification nutrition certification at cornell starting tomorrow <laughs> uh, just because we, we love the the lifestyle so much so it's just not, nice knowing the science and then i baselined all my blood markers all my biomarkers and t- try try tried i know but i just look at that a person who's so concerned with their blood markers and their you know have they taken the time to breathe and doing these morning mantras like it's a very different individual Mm -hmm. from and mindset to someone who you would have looked back on a couple years ago it's like what (laughs) and what drug are we gonna well it it wasn't like a cocktail for you 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 knew what you liked that could you see the comparison of being in that one situation and then seeing it this individual who emerges of who you are now and see any I mean, it could be, you know, an element of neurosis, you know, in that I was just obsessed with dying and partying and being that person. And now uh, I'm kind of like somewhat obsessed with being super healthy, being a really good father to my to my daughter, um, uh, my daughters and a really good husband to my wife. So I and there's. There's a, a line in a book, um, uh, Sharon Salzberg. She writes these amazing books. I think you've heard the name because you've read uh, 10% Happier. Um, and she says, people tell you to love yourself, but they don't, show you, they don't tell you how. And it, it really resonated with me. That's true. That's, you know, people throw these tropes all over the place and, and they don't actually tell you how. Like, uh, you should just be healthier. I'm like, okay. You know, wow. if someone's just, you should just be a gymnast. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Right. I need to, I need I need to know how. So I need to learn how to love myself. I need to learn how to nourish myself nutritionally. I need to know how uh, I, I had to get off my ass and go to the gym. I'm like, OK, so I'm going to get a trainer to help me. I'm going to go online. I'm going to see what's best for my boss. Try try all this stuff. Um, meditation was no different. You know, um, when I discovered loving kindness meditation, it changed my life. When I discovered uh, the gratitude journal, it changed my life. Um I think gratitude, a gratitude journal is a very different writing. <laughs> writing a suicide letter and writing a gratitude journal, I think, are almost the two exact opposite spectrums. How much joy do you get or what do you intend? What's your intention when you sit down to write in the gratitude journal? Um, a big part of it's ritual. Um, I just, I, I need that ritual in, in, in the morning. Um, I think... It changes my mindset for the day. I do this in the morning, yeah, um, because you you can wake up in any mood, you know, based on what you're dreaming or, you know, if a toddler's wake you up by kicking you in the face several times, which I I get a lot. Um, uh, you just you're out of coffee. That never happens, but in case that ever happens, I write I, I write what I'm grateful for. It, it's it just sets the tone for the day. Um, it sets the tone with how you treat people. Um, how you react, you know, uh, well, if you want to respond and not react, so you're just sort of more um, aware of, you know, uh, this. if my wife and I have an argument, you know, we'll both step back and like, hmm, that really wasn't worth saying. I shouldn't have said that. This is not worth, you know, whatever. So cause we're always on the same page. So so that goes in the that goes in the journal. That goes in the journal. Yep. So in this and if we're doing the 12 step checklist, spirituality. <laughs> yep. You have different outlets. 
So it's, I would think, through your meditation, through your exercise, mm-hmm. you're spending time in the kitchen, yeah. you're cooking Self-love. healthy. Self, oh yeah, there's the big one is self-love. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the facing it. And, and I know, well, I, I haven't been through a 12-step program, but when you say you checked off most of the boxes, there's the conversations, the hard conversations, or the appall- or going to people. <laughs> but the first one would have been tough is going to mom and actually explaining how this how this domino effect really stems from something that happened a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult um, conversation, and I, I tried to tell her, and she, it, you know, in person, face to face, was like, okay tell me only what I need to know. And she didn't want to, to know everything. And I didn't want to tolerate everything because I didn't want to upset her too much. Um, there I am protecting her again. And uh, I gave her the manuscript and she decided to read it on the plane. I didn't realize she was going to do this, but she's going to read it on um, a plane flying out to Edmonton to see. She really didn't know the full story until she, she read, the, read this. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and then she was just beside herself on this plane and she's freaking out um, going through her own trauma and um, having to deal with that through the plane and um, so yeah I that was really difficult for me to hear but she went to you know her brother and her brother's wife who were you know she went to a loving place so she had a safe place for a few days to digest it and then um, come home with We've had a lot of conversations about it. You've mentioned, I, I, just because I noticed, but you mentioned a lot the word safe space. Yeah. What is, for you, how do you define that? Or how should people be able to define their safe space? Um, it's, I guess, a, a place, not a, you know, just an abstract place, just being with someone without judgment, without, like, you know, you and I, you know, develop a friendship. We can say, and we have gone through the book, we can say things in a place where we know we're not going to judge each other. We're not going to, uh, we, we can open up, you know, as far as our friendship would take us type thing. Um, and there is no, there's no having to do, go any further, right? If, um, I, if my daughters, you know, think they're come out trans or gay or something, I want them to be able to be comfortable enough to know that I'm going to love them no matter what. Right. That's a safe space. So what if someone had created a safe space for you? Six, seven years. Right. Let's go years back uh, and a safe space and said, Rob, here's your safe space. Mm. You need help. Let us offer you this safe space. Could you have taken it then? What do you tell somebody listening who's been listening to your story and fears that a loved one of theirs is in turmoil? How do they offer up? that safe space because that person's they mm-hmm. got to enter into it right they, they do so how what would have worked or could there have been something or how i just want to go about i mean it? there there was right and it's 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 myra um she gave me that safe space by staying um and uh i got permission to say this uh like she was brought up in um group homes her parents owned group homes and helped these kids these troubled youth and a lot of these trouble use would, would act out and, and, you know, do damage. And their job was to let them know that they're staying, you know, they're going to stay. Um, and when I asked my wife, you know, why did you stay through all those years? She's like, that's what you do. You stay, you know, you show love. And that's, that's a safe space. That she was my safe space for, for me. Um, even through our breakup, she was still there. Like there's an earlier version of the book where I have this, you know, 12 page letter that she wrote me and, 
it's all it's all love, you know. Um, and this is a breakup letter after we broken up, and just saying, uh, didn't make make the book, but that was my safe space. Uh, and then I had some in some friends who I confided in. I had some in my therapist, um, and uh, I had them with with Buddhism. You know, I you know I I really resonated with the idea that there's a, you know, uh, an inner Buddha nature in, in me that no matter what you've done and no matter who you are, you have this perfect being inside you. That's, that's Buddhist practice. And there's a framework for living to get to that. So, um, I think that another, it's gave myself a little bit of a safe space. I think you're hoping to create that as well. The writing, this was one piece of writing, Mm -hmm. but I know that the writing it's in you. Like you, you Mm -hmm. wrote even as a child, but you're continued you're continuing to write and research and just like you dove into okay let's learn more about meditation let's learn more about healthy eating you know you've looked more into repressed memory and the the topics and and the discussion the science the dialogue around it so where do you hope are you hoping that there's more dialogue are you hoping to create safe spaces for other people how do you take what you're now launching and then hope to have an impact or to be able to offer other people spaces or places to go where they could heal. Um, I, think, I, I know that's a lot. That's a, a like a, there's, a there's a lot big question throughout there. Um, I mean, on the surface, you know, half the proceeds, half of all the proceeds is, is going to a center a treatment center for um, adults with childhood sexual abuse. Um, um, and uh, I'm doing a group there, so I'm also a client. Um, I think. The research that I conducted, and I'm still doing it, still learning a lot about trauma. And there's a book I'm reading now that my therapists recommend because they read it uh, called The Body Keeps the Score. And in it, there's this trauma therapist. Um, and he says, you know, in uh, the literature, it only says like one in 100,000, you know, women go through this um, uh, sexual, child sexual uh, abuse. And, and and if I do the math, I'm like, why are 47 of them in my clinic, right? And it was obscene. It just didn't, didn't make sense. Um, so it's it's prevalent. It's it's everywhere, and it's boys and girls now. Now they're saying you know one in six boys, one in four girls have been abused, um, and those are the only ones who were brave enough to say something. So I think it, it could be greater than that, right? Um, and that's a conversation worth having. I think. It's very related to Me Too, um, the Me Too movement. I think it really, it really is, because um, it, like Walking Phoenix says, right? It's about you know one group uh, reigning over another with impunity. So, um, and it's a, and it's a power struggle. So, so I think the conversations. I think there is power in in awareness, and um, I don't want to seem all doom and gloom i really subscribe to you know stephen pinkers we're in the best time of our species existence um that said that's uh enabling us to uncover all these things all these things that have been happening and going on for all these years um and now we can shed some light on it and and we're learning a lot more about healing we're learning a lot more about uh, trauma and we hope that they're you know we're going to have transition parents is what they call someone like me, you know, ending cycles of, of abuse. Um, so we can empower that. And yeah, I, I'm working with the center and uh, I hope to, to bring this uh, to light a bit more. That's, that's really interesting. Transition. What's the transition parents or transition person, which is 
you know. But it's interesting, right? It's putting the end to the cycle. Yeah. It is dealing with the trauma and and finding its yeah. healing it mm-hmm. so that it doesn't continue to get passed on. Because yeah. as we are learning, trauma is passed on from generation yeah. to generation. Well, There's yeah. the epigenetic, like it, it mm-hmm. is transferred to us. Mm-hmm. And so it's taking responsibility to heal, heal yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you expect epigenetics. So we, we, mm. yeah, we can control how those genes are expressed. With someone like a transition parent, I, I can turn them, again. I can make sure they're not activated. And are you having the discussions? I mean, I know the group therapy, right? Like for a long time, you were just like, I, I can't do this. It took like, me nine yeah. years. Nine um, years yeah, to get uh, into to to be brave enough. I had one trial. I was describing the book that just didn't it just didn't went take. out. <laughs> didn't take. Yeah. Um, so would you say that for for people like they might have gone into one meeting or tried one therapist, it didn't take. Sometimes it's not going to take on right. the first visit. For sure. And I mean, especially therapists. I'm glad you brought that up. But, interview therapists because you're about to possibly share your life your your deepest darkest secrets um with someone so that person you should probably be really comfortable with you know i need mm -hmm. no it's okay because you know the fact that you're going to be speaking openly about this this book will this book is going to be here and you have two young daughters (laughs) yeah have you thought about what it will be like for them to to one day open it and say, Dad, let's talk about this. Ad nauseum. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I think when they're ready, I mean, I'm not going to hide it from them. Um, uh, and we're going to have a lot of good talks, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's safe space. Um, this is what we went through. And, and um, uh, know that we love you unconditionally. And, uh, and this is where we are now. There's going to be people reading this and then they're looking for more of the... I, I hope like I'm going to put you through like kind of like a, a ringer right now because I want people to take the most of this. What would be some of the books right off the bat after they read yours? Who do you suggest people read or where do they go or what books, places, podcasts? Because you do, I know that you're big into this. So give kind of like some of your top favorites as to things, places, speeches, people. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm a big fan of Rich Roll's podcasts. Um, it's it's it is it's lifestyle. It's actually I think you'd love Rich Roll just because it's, it's, he's like an ultra marathoner and had kind of transitioned himself. Um, I like Tim Ferriss still. I, I still this I still love his you know Five Bullet Fridays type thing. I think Theo Fleury's book is is um, <laughs> revolutionary you know um and his more recent book where his conversations with a rattlesnake uh which is he describes the therapy the therapeutic process for him um, um if you want to get into the trauma i think yeah the body keeps the scores something that i'm reading now there's another thing called the inner child inner child workbook um and it sounds cheesy um but we have this inner child. I have this little boy, this little eight-year-old that I have to talk to. And uh, you write in, in one of the, the most heartbreaking things I've ever had to do is write to that little inner boy, inner child with my right hand and let him know that he's loved and that he's okay and it's not his fault. And then respond through my left hand, writing cursive with my left hand. And um, that little boy has his, his own thought process his own personality and and uh, doing a lot of work with that 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 workbook helps people work through that um it was is profound all these things that i thought were woo woo and and ridiculous are are, have been incredibly profound 
Profound, um, profound is big. You know, woo woo, yes. Yeah. I think for some, even us talking, you know, I think a lot of people are aligned and are seeing, especially with scientific research now behind it, right? There's more to believe in that meditation and, and the mind and neuroplasticity and rewiring mm. the brain. Mm. But that is fascinating. I'm picturing you writing with one hand mm. and then writing with the other. I mean, and yeah. in cursive. Like, yeah. <laughs> that to me like that you it's not know. very legible with my right hand no. so that's much worse um i didn't really understand or respect the the power of affirmations i i write this every every single morning i wanted to mention this to you i write down i love and respect myself and i wrote this just as a woo-woo thing because i do my gratitude journal uh, gratitude journal and I didn't really, really respect how much, how powerful it would be because I look at it and when I first started writing it, I didn't, I didn't love or respect myself. But in writing it every day, I literally inched by inch was like, how can I become that person that I respect and love? And what, what in my character do I have to change um, where I do love and respect myself? And it could be it's easy as, you know, I, I like radical honesty, you know, I like now, um, just because I was such a bullshitter, I just like radical honesty. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to be honest 100% of the time. Um, From gonna, an epic bullshitter and forever, for sure. you know, that's a big, that's a big switch. It is. Yeah. And more often than not, um, it really solidifies relationships, friendships, and um, it, it's even just the, the slightest little thing, you know, I love and respect myself. I love and respect myself. I wrote that every morning. Every, I still write it every morning. Yeah. And, I, and, but, but you found the ways. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and just to be clear, there's no end game for trauma, right? Uh, the, the, the end game is, is integrative. Like it's integrated into my life. It's not gone. I'm not healed. And um, I don't believe people can be fully healed. I think it's, it, it's going to be integrate, uh, integrated and you can live an amazing life. Um, but it's there. You don't just delete. No. And so that's why it's a daily practice. Yeah. You, you, um, I, I told you earlier, I was listening to, uh, your, your podcast, uh, with, with Tracy, Tracy Bellows, yoga yeah, Yoga Town. So I'm super hyped about doing yoga now because it's a there's actually therapeutic benefit. There's anyways. There's a ton. I mean, we could go through that again. <laughs> I, I love that you're on you that you, you know it. I uh, and yeah and uh, yeah. Shout out to my sister who's been a Bikram instructor for 15 <laughs> years, and I'm finally doing my first hot yoga tomorrow. <laughs> Sorry and thank you. Um, she 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 said we call it a practice, um, and. I love that, you know, because it, there is no, There's no arriving, end. right? Um, so is, so is, you know, growing. <laughs> so is getting over these things or integrating these things. <clears throat> it's, it's a practice. I think that's, we should go. We should go to Royal Ottawa and have them change the word. To practice. Therapy should be the practice. It's the pra- Therapy is the practice. Yeah. And you're always practicing. Yeah. This is when I wish my podcast was like two hours. And then my, my listeners are going, <laughs> okay, no, we're good with the hour, Leanne. Like, we got you for the hour. Um, I just, I'm excited about where you're going. You're not working. I, I could say you're like, I'm going to do the, like the, the air quotes, the retired. 
Yeah. But you're studying at, is it where, is it Harvard? No, which, where's is the new yeah. place you're, okay. Uh, Harvard, Harvard Extension School, yeah. Harvard Extension School for your writing. Yeah. You're just taking this course now. I, I know you named, you said So I took the semester yeah. off to have a baby. Yeah. Yes. Well, congratulations. I should say that. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Because it's, it's a very busy house. <laughs> and I didn't have right it. Now. My wife did. Yes. Yeah. Myra yeah. had it. Um, and you're writing. I think you're focusing a lot more on getting more of the writing. Because I think if you read the book, you'll realize that you're a very talented writer. Oh, thank you. And where can people find the book? Um, it's going to be, I mean, on Amazon. So you have the digital copy, the hardcover and um, uh soft copy uh, on, on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and wherever, Google and all the, the online places. Uh, we did uh, an audiobook, which is also going to be available in Audible, iTunes, and uh, in Amazon as well. It's out. <laughs> it's out. <laughs> I think, well, I think this officially was like, okay, this is, someone's going to press play on this. Your story's out. Yeah. Does it feel good? Feels great. A little liberating? Uh, yeah. Is that the wrong word? What would the word be? I like liberating. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think we spoke about it before, but I just, I, I sent the, the, the friends and family have read it and they've come back with, well, as friends and families would, which extraordinarily um, uh, positive responses and everyone reading it under 48 hours like you. Okay. Well, that's the thing. I wrote it. Uh, yeah. And you're saying people sat down to, to read it and all of a sudden they're, they're flying through it. Plus, I will say for anyone that's not it, like you recognize events uh you recognize people you recognize oh you're talking about this gala that was on the front cover of the newspaper right like and and you've met you know you've been not so i'm gonna let people read some of these (laughs) i'm gonna save some of these stories for the book let's get to people reading the book because there's um there's a lot of things that happen that you're like i knew this was happening but you didn't realize what was happening behind the scenes I'm going right. to leave it like, right? Yeah. There was a lot happening. Behind. It's because it's, it's definitely worth the read. And I think for someone who is searching for something, there's a lot more in there. We kind of, we touched on the surface, but especially in some of the meditations, some of the way you kind of really kind of traveled out and mm-hmm. left work and left that environment and said, okay, this is where, this is where boring starts. And boring is pretty awesome, isn't it? It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Loving life for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Loving life. Yeah. The boring one. And the boring one. Yeah. Yep. In suburbia with two kids. Just suburbia. And it's yep. like a gift. It is. Every day. <laughs> uh, Rob, great job. Oh, thank I you. I hope people get it. So with the book, once again, called Before I Leave You. And the only reason I'm shutting it down is because I looked at my timer. Oh. And we are so over. <laughs> <laughs> and Veronica's smiling. She's like, okay, you can wrap it up. So I just want to be able to say uh, thank you so much to people um, that are listening. See, and it's so nice because you even have someone like Rob who just listened to the full length of the Yoga Town one. I had some... People love that one too. Yeah. See, people I didn't want to be stories. emotional, but the end was so emotional. I'm literally on my way yeah. here. I'm like, and I know. Life is a practice. Uh, thanks again for listening, and please continue to like and comment and share word of mouth. The best way to get this um, podcast out there. But it's so great that these stories are making an impact, and people really, uh, really enjoying them, and making a. And I think the call to action. You went and signed up for your first yoga. I did. (laughs) Love it. I'm going to have to call Tracy. Uh, Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great day. And thanks once again for listening to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. 
If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network.